this year we are celebrating Glass Tire's 20th anniversary. That's 20 years of covering all of Texas, 20 years of writing about art, and 20 years of showing the world all our state has to offer. Because we're a nonprofit, we are supported thanks to listeners like you. If you would like to support our work, visit glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I'm Brandon Zeck. I'm Christina Reese. And this week, so this week we're talking about the effect of time on art, or maybe a more accurate way to discuss it is the effect of time on our perceptions and, you know, likes, dislikes of art. This conversation was kind of prompted. I was out and about a week or two ago, and I ran into someone, and we were talking at a show, and they asked me if I've ever had, like, a change of heart about work. You know, if I've liked it and then kind of started to not like it, or if I haven't liked it and then have come around to the side of liking it. And that answer, you know, I mean, Christina, you and I are art critics. We see a ton of art. Um I feel like sometimes with how much we see, we almost sometimes have to make snap judgments that aren't necessarily always right in the long term. Um, And that's, of course, when we're just out and about. If we sit down to write something about something, you obviously have a lot more time to process that digression. Um, But the answer is yes, because we're human and we have thoughts and feelings just like everyone else. And our opinions can shift and change as we learn more, as we think more, as we have more life experiences, all of that. Well, yeah, and you hope that as you are changing or as you're going through life that you're evolving as a human being and as you evolve, your values and your priorities shift. They just naturally do. And so, you know, I would say if you're evolving as a human being, your relationship to art is absolutely going to shift. Yeah. So with that in mind, how would you like to kick this off? So uh, we're going to talk about, what's the right way to say it? Maybe not the big revelations that we've had, but the artists who kind of are some of the blockbuster artists that we may not have liked, may have come around with, may have changed over time. You mentioned Renoir earlier. Yeah, I mean, so when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot of art in the house. We had some, a little bit. My parents were... You know, my mom liked museums. Both of my parents liked music, but there wasn't a lot of original art. We had some reproductions of some Renoir in our house, and my grandmother did too. And I thought they were great, but I didn't understand them or know what they were. I mean, I was a child, you know, and as you go through... So I was in college in the late 80s and early 90s. Of course, over the course of my entire career in art, whatever, there have been many, many times when people have declared painting dead. Of course, there have been many times that people have declared Renoir just way too kitschy and camp to be taken seriously. But honestly, when I see his paintings, and I went through a phase where I was like, no. And it is, it's treacly. It's very cloying to some degree. Well, his little cherub babies and people and... 
Yeah. 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 You know what, though? It's also incredibly sexy work, and he is mm-hmm. a hell of a painter. And I had to sort of grow up and through my own um, weird lens that had been distorted by other people, frankly. And that happens a lot with art. And, uh, you know, and I was in, you know, I was, it, it's actually, when you see his work, if you even just go to LA or New York and you're in the in the museums with the old paintings, you're going to come across these and you'll do it here in Houston. You'll do it in Dallas. And now every time I see a Renoir, I'm like, gosh, damn it, that guy could push paint around. Mm-hmm. I mean, the light is incredible. His uh, floral still lives are absolutely spectacular. I feel like I have kind of had some of the same relationship in a way to Impressionism. We have so many Impressionism shows come through Texas and just through institutions in general because people like it. It's non-offensive generally, even though the work that they were making really was of the time and was kind of edgy, at least some of it, um, when it was being made. But I took this Impressionism course in college with a wonderful professor, uh, Jessica Lockheed, and I mean, it made me have a real appreciation for Impressionism. I, I don't know if I necessarily had a solid opinion about Impressionism before that course. You know, I mean, I liked Van Gogh like everyone likes Van Gogh and, you know, all, all, all that stuff. But it really kind of made me come around and appreciate what they were doing, because I feel like so much of this also, you know, with older work is you have to really appreciate the time that it was being made in, like what, how it was contemporary art for the time that it was, or even, I mean, even kind of basic nerdy things that really kind of get me going, like, um, a lot of the works that we see now, the Impressionism works are framed in, you know, gaudy gold frames or just kind of really elaborate ornate things. Well, a lot of that work when it was made, it was framed in very simple, like white frames or they, they kind of put that attention into their work and it just kind of made me see it through a new lens rather than, you know, this old landscape that's hanging on a wall. It's like they're painting trains. They're painting the new, exciting stuff of the world. And it's just that shift really made me kind of realize what was cool about it. If you can if you can internalize that and keep it with you when you're walking through art spaces and seeing older work, I think I think it's really key to a kind of ongoing art appreciation. And and Brandon, I didn't know that you had taken that class. What I have known about you since you and I became friends in 2015 is that you have an appreciation for impressionism and I never asked where that came from. I didn't realize that it came from one really good class. Mm-hmm. And that's another that speaks to another point which is you know, art, like everything else, uh, the more time you spend with it, the better you get at it and the more you understand it and the more you can appreciate the nuances of it. But I do think that art is one of these things that unfortunately gets kind of, uh, we've talked about this a lot and we've had our whole art dirts about this, about how people just, they categorize art as a thing that's always for everybody, always accessible. I'm not going to go into elitism or snobbery or exclusivity here, but I am going to say that I do think that art deserves some time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm afraid we're losing that a little bit right now, although not terribly. We're also gaining some really interesting things right now. But I was thinking about, I was just in a conversation with somebody yesterday about Robert Rauschenberg, and I saw the retrospective here in Houston, which was a multi-museum show, In 1998, I came down, and I was an art critic at the time. I was an art critic up in Dallas, and I came down to see all the amazing Rauschenberg stuff, and and I loved it. 
and I was 28, 29 years old, but Mm -hmm. I would love to see it now. It's like even just stuff you already knew you sort of liked, but you weren't sure why or how or what was going on. And of course, I did my deep dive into Rauschenberg at the time because I I probably wrote about it. But I mean, gosh, if I could see all that work right this second, it would absolutely have a different impact on me. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there are a few artists who I very much appreciate for their art historical significance and I I recognize what they did and why they're popular and I very much respect that but there are a few where I've never I, I I don't think I've ever been able to fully grasp their work and I think it's for a multitude of factors like Christina like you're saying like I don't think I've ever seen a full show of their work you know I've seen pieces here right. and there in museums and yeah this is like a category of artists where I know time i can basically tell that time will change my opinion about them but i'm just waiting for it to happen if that makes any sense and you know it's possible i could be wrong and time could never change my opinion about some of these artists but of course you know glass tire is named after robert rauschenberg after one of the pieces that was in that show uh that houston wide exhibition I like Robert Rauschenberg. I like things I've seen by him. I know that I would have so much more of an appreciation for him if I got to see a holistic body of his work together because I, it's, it's hard to process or describe in a way because it's not that I don't like him. It's that I don't know how to like him, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that over time I will learn how to like him. Um, yeah. A similar person that uh, I've told you about and that you kind of told me that you had a little bit of an experience like this with was Gia Cometti. Like mm. I, I recognize it, you know, I see the work, I see the work at the Nasher. I see the work at museums. I haven't ever loved it. I get what he did. I get why it's popular. I get why people want to collect it, why it's worth millions of dollars, but I've never loved Gia Cometti. And you seemed, uh, if I remember correctly, you were talked about a show that you saw that just kind of shifted your opinion of him in that way, right? Well, certainly I really understood. There was a big Tate uh, modern retrospective of his work, and I saw it. And certainly it gave me a better appreciation for him. I, be- I'm, I wish that I could remember the conversation you and I had, because my guess is it was a little bit more nuanced even than that, which was that mm-hmm. I appreciate him a lot more. I don't necessarily love him that much more, but now when I see his work in a museum, and of course you see Giacometti's wherever, um, they just make a lot more sense to me now because I went through the whole chronology of his career and I saw so much of what he did. And of course I read a lot of texts as well. Um, It didn't make him my favorite artist. And the Pacavia show at uh, At MoMA MoMA. didn't either. Mm -hmm. And people just shit their pants over that show. Pacavia is very interesting. I have so much more of an appreciation for him now because of that show. He's not my favorite artist, you know. Well, because, I mean, my real context for him was the printemps, the spring picture at the Menil. That was really Mm. probably one of the only Picabia paintings I had seen, except for save one or two, you know, here. And then to see an entire show, it's it's jarring, frankly, because you're like, I, obviously this person was important in some way, shape, or form, and this is a major show of their work, and I've seen one painting, and the only reason is that's because it's at my hometown museum. Like, that kind of experience is jarring, no matter what. So it'll leave an impression on you just because of that. And think about how how different how you see that painting differently because you're like okay so they collected this Picabia 
why this one? Because yeah. the guy was impossible to categorize, yeah. you know? And it's like, why would you go for one thing that he did over another thing that he did? Because most artists, you actually aren't grappling with those problems. And I, of course, probably a collector bought the work and gave, you know, there's, there's always reasons yeah. for the, for the, for the collected thing, but I just love it that it adds a richness to you, to your understanding of seeing that painting in another setting after you've seen that thing. And that's absolutely true. I just, anything that you can bring in knowledge wise is going to enhance your experience of art and that takes time. So time affects your relationship to art and kind of the macro it's almost like the arc of history mm -hmm. as you're getting older and understanding the lives that these people led and why they were why they had to, the impulse to make what they made right mm -hmm. but then also you've got these really personal experiences with specific artists specific paintings specific works of art you know if i don't like assemblage generally speaking certainly the more time i spend with a cornell work still mm -hmm. the better i get at looking at it the more i have an appreciation for it and really honestly art is kind of meant to be discussed and so the more conversations we can have and the more reading you can do the more talking you can do the more you can stand in front of it and talk to another person about it the better things will get i can be extremely quick and dismissive it's true but the older i get the less i'm like that mm -hmm. and i was way worse about it in my 20s and as i moved through time i also got slower and more careful mm -hmm. um what are some things that you loved at the very beginning that you still love? And what are some things that you just really didn't like that you think you probably like now? Do you have like clear categories of that? I can, I can answer a question. The one that you didn't ask, which is what did I really love at the beginning that I have cooled off over time? Yeah, that's um, right. That is the other question. Yeah. Like what's now seems too didactic or flat footed to you. I'm actually not going to name the artists uh, <laughs> who I feel that way about. And I do feel that way about a few artists who I just like, whoa, went crazy about when I was mm -hmm. 19. And now I'm like, oof, wow. <laughs> Why that? I mean, I can, I can give a name. I loved Jackson Pollock when I first learned about him, which I think was like in middle school, because honestly, as a kid who frankly, you know, I could never paint, I could never draw, like, as a kid with no artistic talent, how appealing is that this that this like dude, you know, did some painting and threw paint on the ground and did a canvas. <laughs> and, you know, in middle school, we did a recreation and we all like worked together on a huge Jackson Pollock canvas. So like, you know, that was super cool as a kid. I mean, as I've grown up, I still I still have an appreciation for Jackson Pollock and what he did. Um, and what he signified in the Abex movement. But I think I've really cooled off on Abex just because, I don't know, the whole macho thing doesn't really appeal to me the more I get into it. And I, I don't think that my kid could have done that. Like, I recognize the skill that's involved to push paint around on a canvas. You know, some decooning paintings are fantastic and yeah. they're very well painted. Yeah, yeah. But... Just as a genre of art, I don't know. It just doesn't hit me like it did when I was a fresh-faced kid, you know? Although, in 10 years, you may change your tune. Yeah. You know? You may come back around and be like, ah, this Abac stuff, it's the best. I totally get it now. Yeah. Of course, you totally get it on some level now. Yeah. And then you'll get it on a different level at a different time. And who knows? Because we know that a lot of these these artists, and men and women, were, were doing lots of Abex, and it was following the war and it was a big deal because yeah what else are they going to paint i mean the world was as bad really as it is right now which is you know artists how do they respond to that so 
just even appreciating that. Did you see the black pourings that the show that uh, Gavin did up at the DMA that I did. you did? Did you did that help at all? Did that make you renew any interest in him or did it just kind of solidify what you thought? It did help. I, I felt like I was a little cooler on Pollock before that show and that show just invigorated a little something, I think, because I hadn't ever seen any of the work that was in that show. That show was probably 2016, 17, Christina, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that definitely, it definitely helped give new context to it, which I don't think I had had for Pollock for a little while. My thing, the one sort of journey to borrow some bad sort of new age language that I went through was an evolving appreciation for women artists because I didn't start there. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started getting really turned on by art, it was also kind of a macho thing. It was um, it was Chris Burden, Mike Kelly, mm-hmm. Paul McCarthy, Charles mm-hmm. Ray, and Bruce Nauman. It was the conceptual artists <laughs> yeah. uh, who did some s- sort of aggressive things. And, um, and you know what, Brandon? I still actually really love those artists, and they're still some of my favorite artists in the world. Baldessari, too. But um, I just wasn't looking at a lot of women, and now I do a lot. Mm-hmm. And I can find it incredibly relieving, liberating, mm-hmm. reassuring. Uh, some of them are difficult women and some of them are not, but I see so much more now. And that started about 10 to 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I had some real blind spots that I don't, that I tr- actually really try to, in some ways I'm trying to get rid of them. In some ways I'm not even having to try. It's just happening because that's where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in this conversation, there's also, you know, the tendency to have rose colored glasses and look back at things um, maybe more fondly than you initially did <laughs> just shows individual artists, you know, things like that. And I'm always really um, heartened whenever I look back at something and it was as good as I thought it was at the time. Yeah. Like one example of this, and I feel like, I think I've mentioned this on art dirt before even, but in, I think it was 2012 or 2013 or between the two, um, Valerie Cassell Oliver, when she was at the CAM in Houston, did a show called Radical Presence Black Performance in Contemporary Art. And it was a show that also had performances more or less every weekend of the exhibition. And it was this group of black performance artists who hadn't really gotten attention in the way that their white performance artist colleagues had. And it was putting this show together in a group show that was documentation material, new performances, younger artists, older artists. And it was this amazing survey. And being a performance art show, that was, it was very experiential. So it was very of the time. I also am a performance art person. So I tend to maybe give some leeway if a performance in retrospect may not be that good at the time. I'll be like, oh, that was pretty good. But looking back at that show and thinking back about it and also looking back at the catalog, which is the best document, you know, to come out of that show because it documents some of these performances and has all that material. It's it was an amazing show. And, you know, that was almost 10 years ago that the show happened. And I'm just really encouraged every time I look back at it that it it was just as good as I remember. Do you have stuff like that that either has or hasn't lived up as you've thought about it or as you've looked back at stuff and been like, Oh, the catalog of this show, it actually, it wasn't as good as I thought it was. 
Yeah, I'm sure there is. Now I'm looking at my bookshelf. Um, I'm going to have to think about that. I'm sure I can answer yes to that question. Another thing that I was thinking about, however, is the fact that art forms are also changing and evolving as we go. Mm -hmm. And an art form that is now one of my absolute favorite, just like performance art is one of your favorite things. Video art is absolutely Mm. one of my favorite things. Mm -hmm. But in the late 80s and early 90s and even mid 90s, it could still be a very self-indulgent, undercooked thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Video art had a bad reputation. There were a lot of jokes about video art back then because it was just like, there just wasn't a a sense of discipline around it, you know, or rigor or anything. So certain people obviously were doing some very interesting videos. It's not that Wegman wasn't doing great videos or Nauman. They were, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just feel like video art had to kind of go through a painful growing phase to sort of differentiate itself from like MTV, like early MTV and those short videos that were happening there mm-hmm. that could have a real beginning, middle and end and could be very packaged. Like a Tom Petty video was a really perfect thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were used to seeing that because uh, it was high quality and we, want our, we wanted our videos to be a little bit more pat as well. But I just think that video art has evolved so drastically and so wonderfully. And, um, and I feel like certain artists really kind of demanded an upping of the game. Uh, Ryan Treecarton's one of them, but, and also it had to find its way in the digital age because we've had more than one sort of revolution happening at once, but certainly the digital age is changing everything. Mm -hmm. So the art itself is evolving. So our relationships with these art forms are evolving as they get better or more solid. I think it'll be interesting. You know, I, it's been a minute since I've thought about Ryan Treycarton. And I think, you know, the way that his work ages, I feel like his work will almost kind of age like, you know, mid-aughts YouTube ages. Because, I mean, that's that's literally what it was. It was playing on all of those online formats. It was published on YouTube. Like, mm. it's, it's going to be really interesting to see if, you know, in the future people will be willing to sit through those 30-minute fast-talking, sped-up videos. Um, I feel like video art could also be, you know, I, I feel like this conversation modulates a little bit around physical artworks, and by that I mean paintings, drawings, sculptures, versus artworks that are more experiential, like performance, video work, music work. It could be harder to have this kind of time experience either harder or easier christina i can't decide what i'm trying to say because you know like a john cage music piece like if you hear it performed when you're 30 and then you hear it performed again when you're 50 and you haven't had any thought or experience of it since or your experience of it has been just it going on in your own head in the time between like the performance that when you're 50, it could completely recontextualizes it because it the the performance actually wasn't what you thought it was at all, right? The same thing about seeing a video or seeing a performance performance. And I mean, just the, the whole experiential aspect of it, like it's different than, you know, looking at a photo of a Jackson Pollock once every five years and being like, oh yeah, that painting. Like I went to a Nam June Pike exhibition at James Cohen Gallery um, hmm. in New York back in 2019. And I'm so jealous <laughs> that work. I mean, I believe so jealous. Yeah, most of the work was from the nineties and it was a lot of, you know, Namjoon Pike is so sculptural in addition to being video, but I don't think I had ever seen a full show of his work. You know, I had seen work here and there, but 
just that show was spectacular and it gave me a new context for his work and just I think it made me appreciate it so much more because, you know, you always hear about video pieces or you hear about Namjoon Pike as like the arbiter of video art and you're like, yeah, sure. But when you really get to experience it, it's something completely different. I've had a weird relationship to textiles over time hmm. where it's really only been in the last, I mean, honestly, like five years that I've really started to slow down and look at and deal with textiles. I know I have a lot of friends who are very into art who work with textiles. I have friends who are very into textiles and they've helped me. That's another thing. Have these conversations with people. Mm -hmm. They've helped me come around. And, and now I spend as much time like that Jamal Cyrus show over the blaffer. I love those textiles as much as I love anything else in the show. And that's a very strong show. Yeah. Those are beautiful textiles and they're they're crazy beautiful and i still and now i'm having responses to textile art that i didn't have 10 years ago mm -hmm. you know i'm actually having physical visceral responses to it that i didn't have and these things take time i was also thinking about richter and somebody out there if they're listening and they have this quote Gerard richter said something about making a painting and he said and so this this the concept of time and the force of time applies to everything and he said you know if i'm if I start a painting, I need to get it done. And I want to say he said two weeks. Mm -hmm. He said, because I'm a different person two mm. weeks on mm -hmm. than I was when I started it. And that's absolutely true. It's true for all of us. And it's true for the artists as well. And think about the artists who take a year to make an artwork. Yeah. I think about seeing a show in one place and then seeing the same show in another one. Yeah. Um, I saw an American pop show with a walker that came to the DMA. I saw it in both places. I saw it installed in both places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was months apart. And I was a different person. And I saw a lot of the same work. But I had evolved since then. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, you can say the world had evolved. And therefore, the art itself, its relationship to the world, had already changed yeah. in a matter of months. And this was old work. I mean, I don't mean to get too philosophical here, but... The older I get, the more I, well, certainly the more I appreciate it and how little of it there is. Mm -hmm. But gosh, it is such a powerful force. Time and gravity are going to fuck with you whether <laughs> you want them to or not. And I appreciate that so much more now. Yeah. On that note, I think we're going to wrap up. Any final thoughts? Um, I just feel like as... As the attention economy gets more splintered, if you can just, oh, we all just need time management, don't we? Some people are good at it. We just need to slow down. Yeah. We need to slow down and look at art and spend some time with it. And the stuff that makes you uncomfortable or that you don't understand or that you've been dismissive of, that's the stuff that can ultimately sneak up on you and become the stuff that you value the most. Yeah. That, I think a lot of people start to understand that probably by the time they're about 25 years old when they realize that stuff that they loved off the bat can get very old very quickly and things that they didn't appreciate at first can be the things that's, that's really stick with them. And those lessons go on. You learn that through listening to pop music, right? Or rock music. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I love the very first time you hear a song. If you just love it so much the very first time you hear it, you're probably going to be burned out on it about three days. Uh -huh. Whereas the difficult song may be something that you're still listening to 30 years later, you know? Yeah. With that, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back two weeks from now with a new Art Dirt. And in the meantime, uh, take some time and go see some art. Yeah, spend some time with art.
This podcast was recorded and edited by Glass Tire. Copyright Glass Tire 2021.